Hello, and welcome to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen, and I am back with Tim. I know all the things, Cox. You discovered my secret middle name. <laughs> it's like Rumpelstiltskin, um, <laughs> yeah. but less accurate now somehow. To, now I have to give you my firstborn. <laughs> and that's uh, you get a two for one, so. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Well, wait, one of them was still born first, so. I guess that's true. That's it. <laughs> so there's, you got to keep one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So tonight we're, Tim and I are going to do a, a an abbreviated, but hopefully uh, relevant and interesting podcast on um, trivia. And so Tim and I are each going to hit each other up with a few trivia questions and then do a little bit of explanation and expose on the facts that we have prepared. So uh, go ahead, Tim. Relevant and interesting. That's a tall order for me. (laughs) All right. But here we go. I will share with you a little fact that I just learned. Well, actually, okay. here's the trivia question. Mayan ruins. Um, most, for the most part, have unusually high levels of mercury in them, mercury pollution. Why? Um, well, I think it's quite obvious that the Mayans liked to take uh, their, their temperature frequently. And so they had a lot of those little mercury thermometers. <laughs> And then when they were attacked, they used the thermometers as weapons. That's right. How'd you know? That's I'm impressed. Very good. Well, I mean, it's just the most logical explanation for how you would get. um, Okay. In reality, (laughs) uh, let's see. Mercury in Mayan ruins. How did it get there? All right. Um, So. Oh, oh, you're still good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Give, yeah, give me a second. Thing. I got to, I got to come up with something other than th- uh, uh, <laughs> thermometer sword thermometers, fights. Thermometers, yeah, something other than thermometers. So th- thermometers did seem a pretty, um, some type of sacrificial uh, or religious rite uh, that involved mercury. Yeah. Okay, that's a that's a good guess, and you're not a hundred percent off on that. The, so what archaeologists presume, it, so uh, generally mercury levels are considered not dangerous when they're less than one part per million. Um, some Mayan sites, uh, like Tikal, for example, it measures around 17 parts per million. So in other words, about 17 times above the the threshold of this is dangerous and to the point where it's like maybe a concern for archaeologists working in, you know, in Mayan ruins. Um, they, they believe that the reason why, because, you know, well, I'll just get right to the point. The, they expect that the Mayans used a mineral called cinnabar, which is a bright red um, mineral to make paints. And so they would use this paint in there, you know, put it on their walls and ceilings and so forth. And and archaeologists believe that over time as that paint, you know, flaked off and and came off it, it 
got into the soil, it got into the water, and they wonder whether it even affected Mayan history. Um, one of the last uh, Mayan kings depicted in, he's uh, called Dark Sun, and it depicted in paintings is, is often depicted as, you know, morbidly obese, which could be, uh, is, is one of the possible side effects of, of, you know, extreme mercury poisoning. So anyways, it's, um, but yeah, so next time you're walking around Tikal, just, you know, think about it and, and maybe don't stay the night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I walk around there frequently. <laughs> That's right. It, incidentally, so your connection to to um, rituals and sacrifice for a long time, it was believed that the Mayans were a peaceful exception to the the human sacrifice rule in Mesoamerica. It was long known that the Aztecs and others, you know, practiced bloody human sacrifice and uh, you know on on a large scale, um, but they hadn't found anything uh, to indicate that the Mayans did this as well until uh, I can't remember sometime in the 20th century, they uncovered a you know mural that depicted bloody sacrifice. I think uh, fingernails being ripped off of hands and stuff like oh. that blood. And anyways, so the color red, as it turns out, was uh, an important color <laughs> for, you know, Mayan painting and depictions of these things. And nice. Okay, well, that's um, gruesome, but uh, yes. fun anyway. Um, okay, my turn. Tim, what is the most volcanic uh, moon in the solar system? Ooh, okay, I'm ruling out the moon. <laughs> Why, Tim? <laughs> don't, don't be so close-minded. I can only see half of it. That, that's a good point. The back might be business up front, party in the back, for all we know. That's right. <laughs> well, as we know, the back is host to a um, a secret uh, Nazi military base that's going to soon attack and attempt to take over the world. And that's correct. That, do, do you do you recall that? Uh, I, I never saw that actual movie, but I remember the trailer and thinking, "Wow, that's <laughs> it's so silly. It looked funny." <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, anyways, um, I I'm going to just say Enceladus because I believe that's a moon and it's just a random guess. It just sounds like the name of uh, a salad or something. Cameron has joined us. Cameron has a yeah, guess. Hey. Also, Ganymede, because I know that's a moon. So there you can't just start naming moons, Tim. Um, uh, I'm going to go with one of Jupiter's moons, Io. Ooh, Io, yes, yes, Io. Io is correct. Oh, dang it. Cameron, for the win. <laughs> Io is the most volcanic, and uh, yeah, it spews uh, volcanic, uh, I mean, lava in miles into the, the in, away from the, the surface. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild, actually. Um, this says uh, sulfur is blown up to 200 kilometers into space by these, some of these volcanoes. Um, wow. Yeah, so uh, it, it, Io, by the way, which I didn't know. I, I always figured that Io, I don't know mythology all that well. And so I thought Io was named after like computer input output. Um, <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> named bef well before that, 
um, discovered in 1610. Uh, Io uh, is named after the mythical character Io uh, from uh, Greek mythology. So anyway, uh, Io just uh, as a also it, it is uh, just slightly larger than our moon, just to give some perspective. So uh, hmm. su supremely volcanic and uh, and not much bigger than our, our moon. Who who was Io? Do we know any stories about it Io? It says a priestess of Hera who became one of Zeus's lovers. Oh, okay. Well, that, that does not narrow it down much, Zeus. <laughs> uh, right, right. But, uh, okay, moving on. Next one, Tim. Okay. And uh, and this one, Carl, since I may have tipped this off to you earlier, you can't guess. Cameron, you you get to guess on this one. Um, what is the loudest animal in the world? Peacock. <laughs> As anyone who has had a peacock in their neighborhood at night can attest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had geese. Geese are incredibly loud. Um, I do know the answer, so I'm not going to say it. Um, to give you the satisfaction, Tim, of being able to say something that you, that is, you know, um, meaningful. <laughs> well, thank you. It, it's such a rare pleasure for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it uh, it turns out it's not even close. The world's loudest animal is the sperm whale. And um, the, so here I'll, I'll get I, I looked it up so I could give you some some numbers. Uh, an everyday conversation is around 50 decibels. Jack Harrah can top out at 100. 150 decibels is generally considered enough to burst your eardrums. So, so think about that. You know, 100 decibels is, you know, over the long term is going to do damage. 150, it's just going to blow up your ears. Well, uh, so to put this in perspective, the loudest sound ever recorded by NASA was the first stage of the Saturn V rocket in 1967 at 204 decibels. But... Uh, so that's only slightly louder than the sperm whale click, which uh, can reach up to 200 decibels. Um, so basically, you know, think twice as loud as a jackhammer and more than 50 decibels louder than is loud enough to burst your eardrums. Um, Isn't that about as loud as your your class gets after lunch? You know, you wonder sometimes. <laughs> <clears throat> Now, a, and a little point of order here, I'm going to just read this because this, you know, technicalities, pressure waves such as sound travel differently in water than they do in air, however, and the the click would sound slightly softer on land at around 170, 174 decibels, but still, of course, plenty loud enough to burst your eardrums. Um, so there's, you know, definitely, and if you look at a, at a sperm whale's anatomy, they, they are actually built to make sound that whole big front nose area is full of of liquid called spermaceti and um they they actually have a kind of an organ that can make these clicks and it actually reflects off of the front of the uh the the sperm whales like kind of nose forehead area back um, to a it reflects through the spermaceti back into the um, into the head where there's a kind of um, a concave shape that 
is built specifically to reflect it back forward. And then it goes forward um, through the lower part of the sperm whale and, and they reflect it out. But anyway, so I guess it kind of focuses and, and they can do different kinds of sounds and, you know, scientists who study sperm whales, it's actually incredibly complex. There's theories about why they can make these sounds so loud. They can travel thousands of miles, of course. So surely communication is part of it. There's also, um, theories that perhaps they can use these sounds to stun or disable their prey, especially squid. Um, it's hard to determine all this because they hunt at such great depths that it's very hard to, you know, no one's ever actually gotten video or, or footage or anything of an actual encounter between a sperm whale and, and a giant squid. But um, anyways, they're super loud. So there you go. Very nice. Um, yeah. Remind me not to listen to a sperm whale. Yeah. <laughs> good, good luck. <laughs> uh, okay, my turn. Uh, all right. What is the smallest mammal by mass? Okay, so... All right, Karen, you got a guess on this one? I've got two guesses, and I'm not hmm. sure. Let me think about it for a second. Smallest mammal by mass? Or animal. Correct. Correct. Mammal. 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 Okay. I'm I'm gonna go in hazard. I'm I'm got I've got two guesses, but I'm gonna pick one. Um my one guess was like the pygmy shrew or something. I know it's incredibly tiny, but I'm actually gonna go with a certain kind of bat, and I don't know what it's called, but they're so small that they actually live inside the hollow cavities of like of bamboo. That's where they roost. And so they're super tiny really small bats and and i'm gonna think because they've got to fly so they they have extra incentive to be lightweight and you know low mass so that's that's my guess some those those little bats whatever they're called it's pretty good tim but i i do enjoy hearing you name the right thing and then move on to the wrong wrong thing oh it was a pygmy shrew <laughs> yes dang it Etruscan pygmy shrew, or uh, just Etruscan shrew, also known as the white tooth pygmy shrew, um, weighs about 1.8 grams on average. So that is a uh, small shrew. Yeah, yeah. So that's 0 0.06 ounces for the Americans among us. Um, Tim, it sounds like you were talking. Now I don't know too much about bats. Just when looking up the this shrew and the, some of the information about the shrew, see that there's something called a bumblebee bat. Oh, that uh, sounds like it. Uh, it said it's regarded as the smallest mammal by skull size. Oh, but well, that's, that's a consolation prize for me. <laughs> you had to specify. <laughs> that's right. Um, couple just small facts, but everything about the Etruscan shrew is small. So. Um, Let's see, they are length between three and five centimeters. Uh, that's not including the, the tail, by the way. So the if you include the tail, then they're like five to seven centimeters. So wow. massive. Yeah. Um, and let's see, they live about two years and their heart beats at uh, 1,511 beats a minute. Wow. 25 beats a second. 25 beats a second. Isn't that crazy? That's. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Uh, How does that even work? It's just like it's just like vibrating, I guess. I mean, seriously. 
yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're just tiny, tiny little guys. Okay. All right. So, and, and a, a follow-up question on that: How many Etruscan pygmy shrews would you need to make just a good solid steak dinner? That's Tim. <laughs> it's wrong on so many levels. Uh, the the rare. Well, well, let's see. If Carl said they're 0.8 ounces, <laughs> the good steak dinner is about 16 ounces. Not you're not about point eight, point, point zero six. Oh, oh wow. point zero six. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, the, there you go, Tim. You're gonna have to have. <laughs> Well, and when you consider the, you know, you, uh, the the butcher's job of getting a good, you know, T-bone oh or ribeye. Okay. All right, Tim. I didn't <laughs> talk about slaughtering sperm whales, so what? you can't, you can't <laughs> kill right. little shrews. <laughs> Although historically, I suppose sperm whales were more at risk of being slaughtered. <laughs> the, um, you haven't yeah, seen boy, a shrew been, slaughter. I've been bringing up blood a lot, haven't I? Or yeah, carnage. You're, you've probably got something clinical going on. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I was thinking right. about Edgar Allan Poe recently, so that might be. Oh, but that is often the first sign of <laughs> insanity. <laughs> okay, um, last um, fact, Tim, or question or thingy. Okay, name the only animal that can drink salt water. Or so land, only animal land can drink animal, from land animal. Only land animal that can drink salt water. Yes. Not including my children. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. I think I've read this before somewhere, but it's escaping me. I'm going to go with the common house cat. Huh. They seem uh, salty. It's salty. The salty house cat. <laughs> Well, Cameron, um, no. I guess Cameron did not have a guess. Um, see, you have to throw the freaking mammal thing in there. So, um, I'm going to, I don't know, some random animal in the Galapagos that had to develop, you know, to drink salt water to survive. I don't know. You know, that's a, that's a, a good guess moving you in the right direction, like conceptually animals that inhabit extreme environments would uh, yeah, the house cat so question carl because i was just looking something up and i saw some some random thing that like was talking about how house, house cats can drink seawater is that did you look that up or did you just guess random oh really <laughs> yeah it's like some i, I believe that it's garbage but there's um the house cat healthy cat is the only exclusively land-dwelling mammal we know that can drink seawater Blah, blah. But I, I believe that that's a load of hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can find anything on the Internet, Tim. Yeah, that's right. Do not give your cat salt water to drink. <laughs> oh, no. Um, the uh, so the answer is the camel. The camel. Huh. And specifically, I think uh, wild camels. I was at the zoo, I think, when I read this, but it's the, the like the wild non-domesticated camel. Um can uh can actually drink salt water and and just roll with it all right well, and of course is that, why they spit, is that why they spit so much yeah that's right like, oh this salt uh, incidentally i learned that sea snakes even though they live the whole their 
um, whole life in the water actually do drink fresh water, but they can just go long periods without drinking water at all. But um, so when it rains, they like drink the fresh water off of the surface. Thought that was a cool fact, but nice. camels just do it straight with salt water. There you go. Very nice. All right. Um, let's hit my last uh, my last one here. So this one is I'm not going to give you a single. I want more than one piece of information here because this is this is an easy one at the top of the list. But I want like th- the top three. All right. And if you get the top three, I'm going to keep going until I get one wrong because I want to feel good about myself. <laughs> um, the the top three languages. Uh, by total amount, uh, by total number of speakers in the language in the world. Oh, do we have to get them in order? Of course you do. Silliness. <laughs> of course. And this is um, as L1 and L2, L2 it, what a, total speakers, not just um, native speakers, not just native. Yeah. OK. All right, Cameron, you go through first. You can throw it out. The first one's Where a gimme, guys. The first one's a gimme. Let's go. <laughs> I was thinking Malagasy, but uh, oh my goodness. say that one more time. Oh, I was saying Malagasy, the language of Madagascar, but uh, no, no, yeah, no, no what, yeah. what was Carl's question? I'm the question sorry. is the top three languages uh, per, uh, by number of speakers in the world. Um, Chinese. Chinese would be number one if Mandarin, we're yeah. talking about L1 or oh, those languages. Okay. It is, so however, English not number one. English is number one by a large margin. OK, because you've got all the L2 and and of course, you've got people all over the world who speak English as a second language. It is the lingua franca of the world. So we which is funny because franca means French. <laughs> yes. Well, we took that t- title from the French by force. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, it's about one point five billion people that speak English. Cool. Yeah. So English first, Mandarin Chinese second. Correct. Mandarin is second. That's about 1.1 billion, which <laughs> it's crazy because the number of first language speakers of English is three, uh, about 370 million. The total speakers is 1.5 billion. <laughs> so you can we have a lot of non-native speakers of English. Hmm. Um, Mandarin has 929 million speakers of as an L1 and only 1.1 total speakers. 1.1 billion total speakers. Uh, so they only have an extra 200 million people that speak it as non-native language, which is a lot. I mean, I guess I say only, but compared to the billion of people that speak English as a second language, that's yeah. There, there's a whole I mean, story there of it's only like the population of the United States. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> yeah. Speaks. Mandarin as a second language. In globalization and and international relations there. Interesting. Um, we need number hit three. Number, hit number I, three for me though. I I want to say like Hindi or something like that. Where but there's so many dialects. I'm, so I'm going to say Spanish just because I'm biased and favor that. So I'm going Spanish. Spanish is incorrect. And oh Hindi come on. Is, Hindi is correct. Well, fine. Whatever. <laughs> Spanish should be it. Is Spanish number four? Spanish is number four. Okay. Yeah. So Hindi, um, and so thus uh, the language of, uh, well, one of the languages of India, um, and that has 343 million native speakers and 600 million uh, total speakers of Hindi. 
Interesting. I imagine most of those 600,000 are still in India. The, yeah, I'd imagine so. You said thousand, you mean million, but yes. 600 million. I, Man, I mean, million. if you think about so those 600 years, what, almost 2 billion people? There's a lot of people <laughs> in India, it turns out. So, um, yes, yeah. that's. Uh, I'm surprised it's. It's not small, but I'm surprised it's that small, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, right. Well, that, like you said, there's a lot of languages spoken in in, in India. So yeah. Hindi is uh, just one of them. English is spoken in India as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, Hindi I, is the one that I think most people, the layman, would generally not get um, English and Mandarin Chinese being the ones I think they pop to the top of your mind when you think about number of speakers. Spanish, Tim, is... Uh, we are biased because of where we live. Yes. Would um, German be fifth? German's way down the list. Wait, wait, wait. Let me let me guess five. Five. I'm gonna say. Uh, okay. See, I'm I'm torn between Arabic and French, but like Arabic, you know, I know there's different Arabics. So I'm just gonna say French because whatever French. So this does depend on. The, oh, let me see. I've got two lists pulled up here, uh, and and they have them ranked differently. Actually, uh, it is uh, it. What? Well, no. Okay. Fr French appears to be the answer. So Arabic oh. is right after that, and it is close, and it's quite close even. Um, oh, just like the France Morocco World Cup game. <laughs> right, that wasn't close. Um, oh, darn it. <laughs> 274.1 million French speakers and 274.0 million Arabic speakers. Wow. Where was uh, Spanish? Uh, Spanish is at 548 million. Okay. Take that. Paltry, uh, 400, 548 yeah. Um, um, yeah. So French and Arabic duking it out for fifth on the list. So. Well, and, and it's interesting. Oh, sorry. I would guess would be Portuguese. Portuguese is number nine. Bengali uh, is seven. Uh, Russian uh, is eight. Portuguese nine. Uh, Urdu ten. And we'll okay. cut it off there because then. Wow. Well, I'm just thinking of just like you know, international business languages. Um, uh, Mandarin, English, and German are your most common international business languages. So yeah, German doesn't find its way into the top 10, though. Yeah, and German is just, um, I mean, candidly, Germans speak a lot of English. And so it's kind of being uh, de-emphasized. No, English speaks a lot of German. Well, and, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, and I think you see it in in the especially in the top six or seven on this list. There, there's two way two ways to the top. Either you have a vast population of native speakers, um, you, you know, a, a populous nation that's China and India, or you um, spent the last 500 years actively colonizing and spreading <laughs> your language, and that's you know English, Spanish, and French. You know, and Portuguese all have that, even though yeah. they are all relatively small populations of in the home country, they, um, you know, they spread that way. And then so you got a, a language like Germany, although uh, has a um, you know, substantial modern influence, um, it's it's relatively late to the stage. Um, you know, it didn't participate in the in most of the colonial. Well, that's not for lack of trying, Tim, but uh... that, that's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> did, did manage to still commit many atrocities, uh, <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, didn't leave his biggest stamp. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was um, diverting or something. Um, diverting. Hopefully, uh, some useful information among the uh, the somewhat inane drivel. But uh, uh, and, and if there I, wasn't, I find that useless information is often the most useful. It's, uh, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks. This, um, we'll be back again. Uh, we got to finish our, our history world, uh, world War II podcast here soon, though. That's uh, Matt does a fair amount of research for that. So if you have if you want to know uh, if this podcast has wedded, is that wedded your did you say wedded? That seems wedded. inappropriate. Congratulations. <laughs> if it has wet your appetite for uh, <laughs> For uh, facts, you can jump on our pod, our World War II pa- podcast series. Uh, there's a lot of inform- information there, though less about sperm whales. Um, I mean, some, of course, but always. I think anyway. you didn't want to just, you know, use the word like peaked, you know, enticed. I like wedded. It sounds so <laughs> festive and celebratory. Okay. Anyway, all right. Uh, we'll be back again next podcast. We'll